Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro-seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the first Diffusion episode of 2019. Sit back and relax while we plant the seeds of weird and wonderful science directly into your fertile imagination. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, we feature a blast from Diffusion's past, digitised from audio compact cassette. In January 2000, the Discovery Science team all wanted to take a break except for Lachlan Watmore, Gina Sartore and myself. We were asked to use a different name for January, so we called the show Axiomatic. Parents and teachers, one of the news items is on an adult topic. This is the second, more planned Axiomatic episode from the 11th of January in the year 2000, where the sound quality was variable, and the aged cassette tape changed the way the voices sound. We look at weird experiments with food and the life of Jacob Bronowski. Here's Lachlan Watmore. No one would have believed in the last year of the 20th century that scientific affairs were being watched from the timeless world of radio. No one could have dreamed that they were being scrutinised as someone with a microscope studies creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Few listeners even considered the possibility of a summer science radio series, and yet, across the Sydney metropolitan area, minds were kept stimulated and regarded this earth with wondrous eyes. And slowly, but surely, they tuned their radios to us. Welcome to Axiomatic, the summer science series. We've got a whole lot of stuff for you tonight. I'm Ian Wolfe. And I'm Lachlan Watmore. And uh, in a packed program tonight, we'll be looking at uh, various things that you can do with food. And I'll be looking at a brief biography of the late Dr. Jacob Bronowski. First of all, though, as usual, we've got a bit of news for you. Ian, what have you got for us? The antidepressant chlorypramine, which is brand name anaphronil, gives 5% of users an interesting side effect. When they yawn, they have an orgasm. Case histories in the Canadian Journal of Psychiatry include a woman who could experience an orgasm by deliberately yawning and asked her doctor if she could continue the drug after her depression was cured. One man found the only way he could cope was to wear a condom all day. Yeah, I was wondering where I could get some of that, actually. Uh, the Clinton administration has taken a step forward as far as the fighting of HIV is concerned on the international stage. Recently, Vice President Al Gore has pledged another $150 million to combating HIV outside the United States. They already spend quite a lot of money on uh, education programs in the States. 
Gore uh, mentioned um, at a uh, United Nations meeting on HIV a few days ago, uh, the administration will also be seeking another $50 million for research, purchase and distribution of life-saving vaccines in developing nations, quote-unquote. Seems that uh, the vice president might be jumping on the presidential bandwagon a little early, maybe, Ian. What do you think? Well, he likes these chances. He wants to get in. Yeah, well, <laughs> anything that helps, that's for sure. <laughs> That's about all we've got in news this week. It's a kind of a, new, a slow news week. Uh, next up, though, we've got Ian, uh, who will be talking to us about what you can do with grapes. First, take white seedless grape and cut it in half. Put it flat side down on a microwave safe plate and put it into the microwave oven on high temperature for about 10 seconds. Depending on your microwave, you may have to put them on top of an upside down bowl to get them closer to the center. Now, microwave ovens are nice toys, but you want to be careful you don't damage your oven. This experiment doesn't work with a cup of water inside the oven alongside the grapes, and a cup of water inside the oven is a safeguard load for the microwave magnetron power tube. A microwave oven should never be operated without some material to cook inside the oven, and all manufacturers tell you to put a cup of water in the oven if you want to test it. Eating just a few grapes with nothing else in the oven could possibly damage the microwave tube if the water in the grapes evaporates too quickly, so be warned, this is a risky experiment. While I've done this experiment in several microwave ovens and never had a problem, you might want to think carefully about risking damage to your oven, even in the name of science. Microwaving for about 10 seconds with the two halves next to each other, you should see a bright flash and immediately switch off your microwave. What happens is that the juice inside the grape is turned into a plasma by the microwaves. A plasma is an electrically charged hot gas like that found in the sun. The plasma and the two grape halves create an electric arc between the grapes, and this produces the bright flash and the singeing seen on the grapes. But why does this happen? Microwave ovens generate between 500 and 1,000 watts of power at a frequency about 2,400 million hertz. This means that with the grapes separated by about a millimetre, we need to generate a 3,000 volt potential between the grapes to generate arcing. This is a lot of voltage. Use fresh grapes for each experiment so you can be sure that they are water-filled and not dried out. Single-hole grapes eject steam out of the stem hole, forming little rocket engines which often propel the grapes around the oven. If the stem was left in the grape so the steam can't escape, the grape skin will quickly rupture into a small explosion as it's heated. This is similar to what can happen if you try and cook an egg in the microwave, when the steam builds up inside the hard shell and eventually the egg explodes, causing a huge mess. So, cut the grapes in half, set the two halves next to each other. If you heat single grapes and touching grape pairs together in the oven for 10 seconds, the touching pairs are at a significantly higher temperature after heating than the single grapes are which suggests there's some form of enhancement of the microwave field in the grape pairs, perhaps a dipole antenna like the rabbit ears in your TV antenna. There are two general classes of antenna, metallic conducting antennas and dielectric antennas that concentrate electromagnetic fields. The common antennas most people are familiar with are antennas from conducting wires and rods, such as the rabbit ears on TV antennas or the multi-rod TV antennas on your roof. Dielectric antennas include various geometric solids, including cylinders, spheres, plastic focusing lenses. Dielectrics are insulators, like rubber, glass or distilled water. Non-conducting dielectric materials are used for microwave cooking ware because they're relatively transparent to microwave energy. 
and dielectric heating of the food, particularly the water molecules, is the key principle used in microwave cooking. So the grapes could be forming dielectric spheres, one or more wavelengths in diameter, and these form a special class of microwave antenna structure. The grapes compress the electromagnetic field inside, and in the steam field region between them, causing the arcing. The concentrated microwave field inside the grapes quickly heats the grapes to a higher temperature only after 10 seconds of heating. As the grapes are heated, each grape emits a jet of steam towards the other grape, and the concentrated microwave fields from the spheres reach more than 3,000 volts, exciting the steam into a plasma state. The plasma forms a short circuited conductor between the dipoles, will get the arcing in the region of steam. When the grapes have expelled their steam pressure, the plasma extinguishes and the arc goes out. So if you've got a spare microwave oven and a bunch of grapes, knock yourself out. Ian Wolfe, as we know, has got an interesting affiliation with food, and he's got a few more tips for us now. Now we're going to hear about digital vegetables. Take it away, Ian. Digital Equipment Corporation have published technical reports on the World Wide Web detailing their discovery of light-emitting vegetable diodes. They found if they struck electrodes into a pickle and turned up the current, the pickle glowed. Inspired by this, further digital engineers tried the experiment on some kimchi, which is Korean coleslaw. The kimchi didn't glow very much and started to smell so they had to cover it up. However, an oscilloscope trace revealed it was performing as a rectifier, turning the alternating current into direct current. This, along with the grapes' aerials, paves the way for new MacGyver episodes involving pizza-based radios. One of the great scientific thinkers of the 20th century was Dr. Jacob Bronowski, who also happens to be one of Lachlan's gurus. Here's Lachlan, with a little bit of help from the good doctor himself, on the life of the man who showed us the human face of science. The late mathematician, biologist, poet and man of letters, Jacob Bronowski. Bronowski is best known for his last major work, a BBC television series made in the early 70s called The Ascent of Man, which was broadcast in 1974, the year he died. However, The Ascent of Man should be regarded as the logical conclusion to a life dedicated to science and the uncovering of its human face. One aim of the physical sciences has been to give an exact picture of the material world. One achievement of physics in the 20th century has been to prove that that aim is unattainable. Jacob Bronowski was a short, plump, very European-looking man with spectacles and a slightly world-weary expression. He was born in Poland in 1908, moved to England during his childhood, and obtained his PhD in mathematics from Cambridge in 1933. Before World War II, he taught mathematics at the University College of Hull. When the war started, he assisted with the evaluation of the strategic bombing campaign against Germany. In doing so, he pioneered a mathematical field known as operational research in a quest to increase the effectiveness of Allied bombing missions. In 1945, he visited the ruins of Nagasaki to study the effects of the nuclear strike. It moved him so much that he forswore any more military research. There are two 
parts to the human dilemma. One is the belief that the end justifies the means. That push-button philosophy, that deliberate deafness to suffering has become the monster in the war machine. The other is the betrayal of the human spirit. The assertion of dogma that closes the mind and turns a nation, a civilization, into a regiment of ghosts. After the war, Bronowski turned his attention to ethics and the human side of science, studying biology and the evolution of culture. He wrote several critically acclaimed books, including a biography of the poet William Blake, and also wrote several books of poetry himself. He worked for UNESCO. passengers on the first rocket to the moon. We'll live in this rocket for eight days and nights. We're going 250,000 miles into space to circle the moon and then return to Earth. We're on a mountain near the equator. On the launching field, our rocket ship points straight up, its tail resting on a metal ring set over a big hole in the ground. That's so the blast of the rockets won't hurt anything. Here we go in the elevator to the door about halfway up on the rocket ship. We enter, and the door is sealed behind us. Captain to passengers, fasten safety belts, please. We're preparing to blast. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Rocket away! Rocket away! Rocket away! To the moon. In just eight minutes, the earth behind us looks like a giant balloon. Attention, everyone. Attention, everyone. Moon ahead. Moon ahead. See, there's the moon, a huge dead silvery globe floating below us. The moon is dry, the moon is cold, the moon is pale, and hard, and old. It hasn't got a bit of air anywhere. There's no more grass than there is on a button. No trees, no seas, no flowers, no nothing. 
The moon is a wonderful place to visit. Is it? Yes, but I wouldn't particularly care to live there. The moon is dry, is cold, is pale, is hard, is old. We are swinging around the other side. Do you know we're the first people ever to see the other side of the moon? Why, there's another moon shining ahead. That's not a moon, that's the Earth, our planet. And we're going back. There is so much to see and know. There is a part for men to go. It's good to travel wide and then it's good to come back home again. Fasten safety belts, please. Fasten safety belts, please. We're coming in for an Earth landing. Now we're turning. Our tail will point toward the Earth and we will slow down our landing with our tail rockets. There's the field below. Home again. Okay, from the pages of CNN today, uh, in the world of AIDS in Africa, Uganda is something rare, a success story. Although roughly 10% of Uganda's population of 20 million is infected with HIV or has AIDS, Uganda has one of the most aggressive and some say the most effective AIDS control programs in the world. Uganda's effort has produced a decline in the rate of AIDS in the country at large, and at one major hospital, from 24.5% of its patients in 1989 to 13.4% in 1998. The focus is specifically on young people who have the fastest spreading rates of HIV infections and AIDS in the world. The Ugandans say that they've learned about educating young people about safe sex is that you have to, the way that you do it, I should say, is that you have to speak their language using music, videos, radio and newspapers to spread the message. No one in Uganda speaks that language better than the staff at the Straight Talk Foundation, a non-profit group established in 1994. They produce a hip weekly radio program that reaches more than 1.5 million young people, often going where they are and letting them speak their mind. At the Straight Talk office, director Anne Ika Feidler says one of the biggest challenges is debunking some of Africa's sexual myths. Among the most common, she said, is that if a girl stays a virgin for too long, the hymen becomes as hard as a rock. And for men, it says that if you don't have sex right now, your penis will shrink more and more. Very convenient. Kreidler says the information can tell by the feedback it gets that the campaign is not working. Many of the letters had a tone like, oh well, this girlfriend, I don't want to have sex with her, she doesn't want me, so I'm going to get another girl who will have sex with me. Other letters tell of couples talking about condom use, she said. Straight talk helps young people learn how to communicate and negotiate their way out of difficult sexual situations. It works closely with a number of other organisations and institutions, such as youth-friendly one-stop clinics, where teens and young adults can get advice about sex and sexually transmitted diseases. Meanwhile, as pleased as public health officials are with their progress, many Ugandans are saying they're not doing enough. AIDS is still claiming the lives of too many people at every level of society, from doctors to rural farmhands. Ugandan health officials say poor countries must find ways to use limited resources to maximise the advantage, calling on both the public and the private sectors, and in this case, the young people themselves. And that's the AIDS program in Uganda. John, what's happening to us? I think we both know, Mary. 
It's just that we seem to be drifting apart. I'm sorry, Mary. I've tried. Oh, I don't blame you, John. It's just that... It's not your fault either, of course. It's just that, that we don't have... Exactly. There's this awful gap in our lives just because we don't have... Oh, but why talk about it? It's just that... Oh, I keep hoping someone can find a way to... Don't be a fool, Mary. You know that's impossible. Oh, I know. It's just that... Gad, it's ironic. With all our technology and industrial know-how, we still don't have the one thing that could give us a better way of life. They say it can't be done. That it's just an impossible dream. Now, as we've been hearing this evening, Ian Wolfe has got a thing with food. First it was grapes, then it was vegetables. Now we've got chocolate. Take it away, Ian. Serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter found in the brain, is also found in trace amounts in chocolate. There may be a connection between the eating of chocolate and the improving of your mood. Researchers also say that chocolate could offer the same benefits as red wine in reducing the risk of heart disease. Both contain flavonoids that have been shown to prevent cholesterol from clogging arteries. The love drug in chocolate is a family of compounds known as phenylethylamine. These work on the brain like the natural stimulants dopamine and adrenaline, leaving a person with heightened senses and a feeling of well-being. Blood pressure and sugar levels rise slightly and the pulse quickens. Caffeine relatives methylxanthine and theopramine impart a slight stimulant effect, but don't change your morning routine just yet. We take more than a dozen chocolate bars to equal the caffeine dose in a cup of coffee. The same goes for stimulants in chocolate that work on cannabinoid receptors, the areas of the brain addressed by marijuana. Those would be the N-acetylethylamines. But a study by three researchers at Neurosciences Institute in San Diego last year failed to identify whether they are strong enough in chocolate to actually be felt by a person. You'd have to eat so much that you'd be feeling so nauseated and sick that you'd miss all the good effects. In short, not a good way to get stoned. The fatal component for a dog is theobramines, which stimulate the heart, kidneys and other organs. The concentrations in chocolate aren't enough to strongly affect an adult, but smaller creatures, like dogs and children, might be in trouble. Then there's the fat. The cocoa bean contains both the flavour of chocolate and the fat. 17th century British scientist Henry Stubb described seeing fine veins of a white substance in the bean under a microscope. And after some heat processing, came up with fat globules. They were very solid and melted on the tongue, totally as fat or butter would, to which they were equal in hardness. We know this today as white chocolate. A chocolate bar, a saturated fat with more than 25% cocoa butter, has no measurable effect on serum cholesterol. If you have chocolate cravings and you're weight conscious, go for only the best, richest chocolate. A little bit of the real thing is so much more satisfying than a big pile of lower quality compound chocolate. That was Ian Wolfe and his uh, fixation with food. Ian will no doubt be back with more food later on. There are no advanced extraterrestrial civilizations in Earth's immediate vicinity, science fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke told the United Nations Forum recently. The proof? The proof is that our television programs are so bad. 
His logic is this. Since television signals radiate outwards from the Earth at the speed of light, our televised legacy now fills a sphere more than 100 light years in diameter. And since no alien police force has yet to arrive to put an end to the nuisance, there can be no advanced civilization anywhere in that vast region, QED. But then again, perhaps the aliens have already arrived. There was a small ad in the South London Press on the 17th of December which read, Syrian passport lost, lost near Victoria Station five weeks ago. Call blah, blah, blah. That's from the pages of New Scientist. They might also be worried that the type of people portrayed in Neighbours and other such soaps are real and they'd want to come and exterminate us. Well, if you've got an alien um, uh, television program that, that had, you know, the, the, the Beetlejuicean version of the marriage of Scott and Charlene, uh, who killed JR, the, the worst of the bill, that sort of thing, uh, I doubt you'd want to really sort of come around here at all, would you? You'd either want to leave us alone or you want to come and exterminate us. Yeah, something like that. You know, either just, you know... Let it, let it die or put it out of its misery early, something like that. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's all we've got from this edition of Axiomatic. Uh, joining us tonight have been Ian Wolfe and yours truly, Lachlan Watmore, and our thanks go to the lovely Janice Satori, who's once again been behind the buttons uh, doing all that technical stuff. If you would like to uh, get in contact with us, if you've got any uh, compliments or complaints or just simply comments, we'd really love to hear from you. Send your contribution, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. My name's Lachlan Whitmore. Tune in next week. Sound checking by Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including 2RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, 8 Triple C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2NVR in Nambaka Valley, 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, 2XXFM in Canberra, and my local station 2RDJ in Burwood, New South Wales. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com that's www.diffusionradio.com If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than 950 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or Listen to Diffusion on your phone or tablet through the Radio Public app. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash c slash Diffusion Radio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits, photography, 
collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.